0: Are we ready? Yeah. i Are we ready? <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> this is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugar-coated conversations on wellness created by the real life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Hi, I'm Rachel. I just found out that I'm vitamin D deficient. I bought a really baller jumpsuit today and I've been digging on some pretzel rods lately.
2: Hey, I'm Jake. I love playing volleyball. I have an Audi belly button. And one time I bought a one-way ticket to Vegas and then hitchhiked my way back to Chicago.
0: Hi, I'm Janelle. I love to walk and talk by myself. My feet always smell. And I love aioli more than life. And we are your host of the True North Collective podcast. Oh my god, I'm going to
1: hork. (laughs) Aioli? That's disgusting. What
0: <laughs> is it? Oh
1: aioli, it's, it's kind like of like mayonnaise. Mayo. <laughs> Ugh! I imagine, like literally, my least favorite thing that I could possibly imagine having to do is take warm mayonnaise and squish it between the holes between my teeth.
0: Oh! I know. <laughs> well, that sounds gross, but I love aioli. Ew,
1: dude! <laughs> when you bite into something with aioli, that's what happens.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it squirts between your teeth holes. Aeoli on everything.
1: Oh, Oh my God. Are you into emo music, Jake?
2: No, I hate it. Oh, Oh, yeah! One for the non-emo team. (laughs) I like happy music. I don't want to listen to sad music. (laughs) (laughs) Angsty. I love emo music. It's just a thing. All the angst. Oh, oh my God. gosh, you're a weirdo.
0: <laughs> All the emotions I don't know how to express.
1: Oh, you're learning, Janelle. <laughs>
0: I know, I'm learning. <laughs> that's awesome. And the Audi belly button. I don't know why Audi belly button, it just like makes me laugh. I don't know why. It's the Do word. Do you have one? I don't, maybe that's why.
1: I it's... have an each too. Yeah, I think it's just I a I think word. they can change. Can't they change?
2: Yeah, I I used to have a really big Audi and now it's like a lesser Audi. It's still noticeable. I love it. it it's like the word. The
0: word Audi just makes me giggle. Like it's not even the belly button. It's just like Audi. I don't know. It cracks me did, up.
1: Did you meet any? Did you meet any creepers on your uh, uh, hitchhike ride back from Vegas?
2: I did. Um, there was one guy who was like, oh, I just need to stop at my house. It was no. like the very oh. last, it was like the very first step. Um, so I guess, all right, I hitchhiked from the airport on the way in to my hotel. And then I hitchhiked all the way back. So the only like creepy person was when I was hitchhiking my way in. I, um, I was just going to walk. <laughs> and so I got off this, out of the airport and I, it was so hot. I took my shirt off. And I had this backpack, this like hiker's backpack that all my stuff was in. And this dude in this Escalade pulls up next mm-hmm. to me and was like, hey, didn't I see you at the homeless shelter? <laughs> 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 That's and what I people
1: say like, to me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right? I was like, no, thank you though. Um, <laughs> I, I wasn't at the homeless shelter. I just flew in here. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. going to like this conference. And I was like, "Hey, could you give me a ride?" And he's like, "Um, all right, like I guess so." Uh, so I get in this car, we're chatting, and then he's like, "Hey, I just have to like stop home and pick something up." Mm. That was when I got nervous.
1: How did you like covertly start dialing nine
2: one one? Right. Yeah. No, Had- dude,
1: I listened to so many crime podcasts like literally i feel like if something ever happened i would have a a slew of options for things that i could do because i'm constantly thinking about like okay what's my way out of this
0: right how How always have always out how old were you when this happened when you did this Uh, what
2: was this maybe like junior year maybe so
0: in college thing
2: yeah 21 or something okay um and so I wasn't worried because I didn't, like, have any money. So I'm like, all right, if he, if he beats me up and robs me, he won't get anything.
1: What? <laughs> Dude.
2: And then, oh, my
1: Except for God. your life.
2: Your life is valuable.
1: <laughs> I feel like he was probably trying to do more than beat you up for your money. I mean, you were walking around without your shirt on.
2: Right. Ooh. That's true. I, <laughs> I'm so optimistic. I was probably like, wow, what a nice because I asked him for a ride, and he said yes, so I wasn't thinking he was creepy. But then this home thing started happening, and then I was like, oh, my God, what did I just do?
1: Yeah.
2: And we went, like, we stopped at his house, and it turns out he just wanted to smoke weed with me.
0: Oh, that's and weird, so. kind of weird, I know. <laughs> I know.
2: That's, that's weird, too. Because, and I told him. Because he
1: wanted like, to drug you. So he wanted to drug you,
0: and then yeah. what? <laughs> he's just really nice. He just wanted a friend to get high with. That was That's actually what happened.
2: It probably was. like <laughs> he didn't have friends, and so he's like, whoa, one just fell into my car. <laughs> oh,
1: my gosh. Oh. This is the start of every worst horror movie that ever existed. That's
2: so
0: scary. <laughs> I, once, oh. Oh, I once was in Atlanta, and I was in an Uber, and... The Uber driver starts turning off the street, goes behind a building, and all of a sudden we're in this back alleyway with nothing around us but a field and it's dark and it's a dead end. And I was like, Holy shit, this is where I die! Like, this is absolutely where I die. And then you could just see, he turns on, he's like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I have no idea why my GPS took me here. We're leaving. I'm so sorry. Like, (laughs) you could probably sense like my complete panic. I was like, "Fuck!" Like, I'm about to run out of the car. Like, (laughs) I'm like looking. The doors are locked. I was like, "Oh my god!" This Uber driver is gonna fucking kill me. But then (laughs) it ended up being okay. But you could just tell he turned around. He's like, "Oh my god! I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm not." (laughs) He pretty much knew. He's like, "How bad it looked."
1: Um, Thank goodness he did that.
0: I know. Well, I, I actually was, like, I was about to run out of the car. Like, I was so serious. Yeah. I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I am actually going to get hurt right now. And if he wouldn't have turned around and, like, been so sincere in his apology and immediately <laughs> whipped his car around, I, I was, like, hand in the door, like, ready to run. <laughs> this is terrifying.
1: I mean, it is, pretty, it is pretty crazy, especially Vegas, like, with the human trafficking and stuff. Yeah. Like, I can't believe... That was pretty... <laughs> Jake, I need to be the little person in your ear, helping you nav, helping you navigate life.
2: Would you I do that now, it. though? I need that.
1: Would you do it now? Do you still hi- hitchhike?
2: Um, I mean, I have in some state parks, just like some friendly places. <laughs> some friendly <laughs> places, Jake. <laughs> oh yeah, nothing bad happens. Yeah, sure. That.
0: You know where people that are on the run go? They go to parks. They hide.
2: No, you... Okay, you're probably right, but I have a philosophy that, like, nothing bad ever happens to me. So oh, don't put
1: my that out there. Gosh. <laughs> okay, we Jake. need to sidebar it. Oh,
0: my god. <laughs> <laughs> like, time out. Jake, now you need to text That's... us, like, every oh, single week like... for the next couple god. weeks, just so we know that you're still Okay. Yeah. You're <laughs> I'm a concerned mother right
1: now. (laughs) I have a a friend who has this theory called the unlucky-lucky theory, and she believes that every single time, which it's actually been true, every single time something really unlucky happens to her, something really lucky happens because of that unlucky thing, and it all, like, works itself out. And shit used to happen like that all the time. So when we'd be in college and she'd, like, I don't know, lose something, or, like, she'd get a ticket or a flat tire or something, she'd be like... It's unlucky, lucky. Just wait for the lucky. Just wait for the lucky. And like without fail, it always turned out, we would always be like, good God. Are you kidding me? Every time.
0: I love love that. My uh, my dad found a four-leaf clover when he was really young and he framed it. And he is the luckiest person I know. Like he wins things all the time. And I think genetically that luck has been passed down to me because I consider myself a fairly lucky person. So I like that outlook.
1: I would agree with you. I would say you're... I don't know if you're lucky, though. You put yourself in positions that allow, like, at good times. Like, you
0: do it. You you say yes to things that. That's true. What did I say to you the other day? I'm like, there's only a 1% chance that I'll ever say no to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Basically true. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Is- well, should we officially introduce Jake? Sure.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> He's like, yup. <laughs> All right, well, we are welcoming Jake White to the podcast today, and I know Jake from our time at the University of Wisconsin Oshkosh a few years back now, and Jake is a successful entrepreneur and speaker who started throwing sober house parties his junior year of college because he wanted a place to make friends and have fun without being pressured to drink, or use drugs and after just one semester of creating what is now known as Party Point O, he has hundreds of students attending sober parties through nationally known sponsors and media coverage around um, the state and really the nation at this point and is now a speaker sharing how different organizations on college campuses can set up sober parties and then also talking to high schoolers and middle schoolers on how to just make informed decisions in their life and the the choices that they have. So welcome to the podcast, Jake.
2: Thank you, super pumped to, I don't know, do whatever we do here, chat,
0: (laughs) We get into it. We chat, we get into (laughs) it, we go. Yeah. Yeah, so as I mentioned, Jake and I know each other from college, and one of the things, Out of many that I always remember about you is, one, you're incredibly personable, so obviously easy transition into a speaking career for you, but I was always so impressed with your ability to stand in your own truth despite the culture around you because... I don't know, I look at my time at UW Oshkosh and we're drinking like five, six nights a week. It was free for us to drink if you were a woman, like you didn't have to pay a cover charge to go to the bar. So by the time I was 21, I mean, I was going on like five nights a week and not that it was good. I I don't even know what it did for me. It was more just like, this is what people do. And so I was just doing it. And I was always impressed by your ability to still build really strong connections and to be able to do what you felt was true for yourself despite everything else that was happening around you. So I'd love to just like kick it off and have you start to talk about Party point0 why you created it and how it's evolved
2: since college. Sure. And thanks for saying those nice things about me.
0: Of course. Appreciate it. it. I mean it. <laughs>
2: um, so I guess if I, if I took you to the beginning, um, growing up, I had, family members who really struggled with addiction and so I saw firsthand how I mean just alcohol alone but also other drugs could influence someone's life and in particular it was one of my my uncles uh, his name was wit and he was like the most successful person that I knew uh, had an amazing job made six figures a year um, just had great relationships and was super fun and whenever we went to like family gatherings like he was the guy I wanted to hang out with and so when I saw what these substances did to him you know taking away his money his relationships his freedom eventually his life I had gone into college with this one decision like all right I'm not no matter what happens I'm not gonna drink I'm not gonna use I'm not gonna smoke weed um, even if it seems like it's the only way to like fit in and make friends and have fun I'm going to try every other way to do it because I don't want to end up down that same path. I'm kind of stubborn. That way too is like once I made my mind up, nothing was going to change that. And I actually, I, since I was paying my own way through college, like I knew it was not only an academic learning environment, but it was a social learning environment. Like when you're in school, you're around thousands of people who you can learn from, you can know their experiences, you can get to know things about where they come from. So to me, I was like, I wanna learn as much as I can. I wanna become good at socializing, um, good at building my own confidence, You know, learning how to be the best version of myself. And I just didn't see those substances fitting in with that um, because it's not necessarily sustainable. I don't wanna be reliant on that kind of stuff. Um, so that's how this kind of posture started out on that why I would be so stubborn for my college career not to use these things and to be so to be transparent I went the first two years of college and Janelle do you remember how like outgoing I was right
0: oh yeah of course that's like I mean yes
2: (laughs) yeah (laughs) you stood out as someone
0: I always remember from college so definitely
2: yeah I was talking to everybody like you couldn't walk beside me to class without me introducing myself to you and you becoming my friend or deciding not to like me. Like (laughs) I was not giving you a choice. So I remember those first two years I met so many people, but what was really crazy is that no one said to me, Jake, I don't drink. I don't use drugs. Like that conversation never happened with anybody that I had met. And I remember after two years, um, I just gotten used to going to bars and house parties and stuff and just doing it sober. Um, and even though it was uncomfortable, it was just like you said, it's what we do. It's the place to hang out with people. Um, it didn't seem like there was another cool option. Um, and after a few years I just realized that I started to become silent about my decision. So just because just also how no one else had told me that they didn't drink and they didn't smoke. I also became silent because I didn't want people to judge me when I told them that I didn't do those things.
0: Did you feel when you would open up about it? Did you feel judgment
2: i I felt maybe it wasn't judgment, but it was exclusion
0: mm-hmm.
2: um it would it would turn a conversation awkward when I said, Oh no, I'm not really like into drinking or yeah, I'll come out with you guys, Um, glad to, you know? And then I would say no to a drink and it would be like, oh man, why are you here? Mm. It just, um, so I would do whatever it took to kind of hide that part of me and still be a part of the scene or to be a part of socializing, but just avoid talking about it. Um, And I, I think what it came down to is maybe everybody else just thought that I was looking down on them, that I was judging them for drinking because i wasn't
0: that's really interesting and i'm trying to think back to college and if i had an opinion on that and i don't like i don't think i did at least not strongly like i feel like i always had a ton of respect for you um Mm -hmm. but now and rachel and i and a lot of our listeners actually are doing a snooze on booze where we're not drinking for 60 days and We've done like I've done a whole thirty before, so you don't drink for thirty days. Um, but the experience has been really interesting. I think it's a lot easier to do as an adult. But how people respond when you tell them you're not you're not drinking is always really really interesting. And it I've been like meeting people and going out on a few dates, and people immediately say like Let's go to drink. And my response is I'm not currently drinking. Um, and what I've always found interesting too is like the first thing everyone always asks you is why why aren't you drinking? It's like, well why are you drinking? <laughs> <laughs> um, so that has been kind of an interesting um, social experience for me.
2: Yeah, that makes total sense. It is funny whenever you try like not participating in that that people will ask it when like we don't ask you like why are you not putting mustard? on your hot dog.
0: (laughs) Why are you not eating aioli with everything?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We don't, but the cultural norm of, of drinking is, is like just when you're with people, you drink, you know? So it is, it does seem weird to people and they ask us why, um, instead of right asking, well, why, why are you choosing to do it? But yeah, it's, it's a total cultural thing. And I think when it came down to it, I just had, I realized that since I didn't love the environment that I was in that it would never change and I could never expect someone else to change it for me. Um, So I felt like I had to do something, you know, if I was given like this, this outgoing personality and I was hiding who I was like, imagine what all those other people out there who are probably, there's gotta be other people out there like me. Um, I had read a stat actually that almost 30% of college students, don't drink don't smoke weed, um, don't use any sort of drugs. And I thought that can't be true because I wasn't meeting them. But then as I thought, well, what if they're just hiding like me? That was really when I decided, all right, I'm gonna do something. Um, I'm gonna find a way to bring us together and like party without any, you know, substances.
1: So I have a question. Did you know when your uncle was going through, I would say, his experience with drugs and alcohol did you know that that's what was happening because I feel like I have family members and people in my life now that I'm older I'm like oh yeah they for sure probably or they had a problem and have maybe still have a problem but at that time I did not know that
2: my family was really open about talking about it Okay. Um, and it, you know, it progressed. So it started with, with just alcohol. Um, and then it, it kind of skipped, it went to harder drugs uh, and eventually like heroin, um, and different times, like when he would go to the hospital, uh, he would get a prescription. Um, I think it was oxycodone and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, would use that. And so, my parents were really good about communicating with us. Hey, like, this is what your uncle's going through. It's tough. We love him. Um, <clears throat> but this is the struggle that he's going through. And so they were, for me, it was, I think, helpful um, because it showed someone in my life who is experiencing something negative. Because if I just asked my friends, it was, well, there's nothing negative that can happen. We're partying. We're having a great time. We're safe. Um, but I saw that progression throughout my life. And so I saw the different stages of, you know, it just took a little longer.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm, there's like so many things to unpack in what you're saying for me. Um, because on one hand, I, what I love about what you're saying is that you somehow, the young age of not even 21 had the wherewithal and the self-awareness to recognize who you wanted to be and who what, and like a, you know, a community that almost had a different expectation of you and you could see that gap and you, you played in that, that gap for quite a while. And I find that very impressive for somebody that age, because my own self, like, I don't think I could have been. I for sure was not that self-aware at all. And if I was, um, even though I enjoy, like I really like being different, it's like a controlled different. Like I'm like, I want to be different, but I don't want to be so different that I'm going to be alienated or ostracized, or at least that's how I I, I would have felt specifically back then. And so your ability to recognize that you were playing in this gap space and just stay in it and keep gathering more information is really amazing and how do you think that you did that
0: yeah did you ever <laughs> like, feel like me, I'm like <laughs> yeah did you ever feel like you're missing out
2: yeah I I really felt like that um so I answer the first question Sorry, I yeah. think that I was able to do it because number one, oh, okay, and I'll give credit to my parents too because not only did they talk about you know, my family and our experiences with addiction and that likely if I started using these things, I would have the same chance of becoming addicted. Um, so I knew that. They talked about it. But also, my parents stopped drinking uh, when we were born. So it turned them into people that they didn't really like and they probably would have gotten divorced. Like... They had this ultimatum together to say, hey, when you drink, you turn into someone I don't like. And they both said this to each other. And so they decided, all right, we're not going to do it. So when everyone else is growing up and seeing their parents um, drink to relieve stress, you know, hey, Friday's been tough. Let's go home and have a drink. I didn't grow up seeing that. Um, Or they're out with friends and sitting around a campfire drinking beer. Again, my parents' friends were doing that. But my parents were just as fun and they weren't doing that. So I saw there's not just like this one way to get something.
0: Yeah, was huge.
1: Yeah.
2: I, it wasn't this adult expectation.
0: I yeah. love the call out too that they were just as fun. I think that is something that people sometimes think, oh, you're not drinking, and they then maybe feel some sort of guilt or they think that you're not gonna want to hang out with them. And that's something even in the last couple of months too, when I've been going, for example, we went on a, a brunch like mimosa I don't know booze cruise around one of the parks here and I'm not drinking so I just went and and had food but a couple of my friends I don't know we were being stupid we were pretending like we were on the Titanic and then I asked the boat driver if I could drive the boat and he let me drive it around and one of the people in our group said you know it's funny that the sober one is doing the most outrageous stupid stuff while the rest of them you know, we're drinking mimosas and enjoying themselves too, but I think it's just a really good call out that you can, you can pull that side of yourself, your playful, fun side out in public situations. You can be stupid, you can be silly, you can be goofy. And I think a lot of us use alcohol as a crutch to get us there, but you can get there without it, that that's still inside of you with or without
2: drinking. Oh, mic drop. Amen. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Yeah. And I I think you're right because like you probably made a decision before you got on there. Hey, this is like it's potential to be awkward because I'm not doing something that other people are doing. But did you kind of like hoorah yourself into saying I'm gonna have a good time and I'm I'm not gonna care what people think, or how did you do that?
0: Totally. I actually do think I mean generally in social situations like that, I think I get a little social anxiety and that fuels something in me and then I'm more outrageous or I feel the need to entertain so it's also just probably a part of who I am um but I do think when I'm sober too like I feel it more because I, I do like I still sometimes feel that anxiety and I'm not going to go at least not right now I'm not going and drinking which can kind of actually help me calm down and reduce that social anxiety a lot of times for me so I sort of go and not necessarily the other direction because once I kind of liven up um you know, it's well received and then I feel okay again, but it's just like skipping that step of feeling like, Oh, get a drink in your hand. And then your anxiety will calm down and then you can get to it. It's just like, I have to jump over that hurdle on my own rather than using something outside of myself to get there.
2: Yeah. And now it's kind of like a skill set that you have. So, you know, when you get into a new situation and you're nervous, Oh, I can do what I did on the, on the boat ride. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a little hard at first, but I can overcome it and become relaxed and have more fun and stuff. And that's what I really wanted to learn how to do in school and what I think really paid off, you know, Um, is that whenever you are in a situation, it's like it's literally just up to you whether you want to have fun or not. You don't have to have something available to you. You don't have to purchase a drink or anything. Um, You just decide whether you want
1: to. So Mm -hmm. what I hear in that is that It actually doesn't have to do with the alcohol or the drugs like drugs and alcohol, let's say, aren't inherently bad. There's more to it than that. Is that true or no?
2: Yeah, I so actually just today I was speaking at a high school in Flagstaff, Arizona, and one of the main key points that I try to draw out for the students is because you can't go into a school and say, hey, don't do drugs. (laughs) <laughs> they'll be like, screw you. I'm going to do drugs during your presentation now because you told me not to. Yeah. Um, so what I like to show them is, all right, here are the reasons why we, as humans, here's what we get out of using these substances to help us relax, to fit in, to socialize. Um, maybe because it's, it's like to deal with stress or anxiety or maybe it's just to escape, you know, like we have some painful things going on in our life and we want to escape that. And what it comes down to is there are multiple ways to get those same effects, but oftentimes uh, like drinking or using something is what I call a shortcut. It's the quickest way to get it. And it's the way that most people are doing it. So your brain goes there right away. Like, Oh, I'll do that. And it's, it's very easy. It's a shortcut. Uh, but the thing about shortcuts is it could potentially cut your life short. Like that's the risk that you take. And so instead, what I ask them is imagine if you were to say, all right, I'm not going to do those things. Instead, I'm going to develop a skill set. I'm going to develop the skill it takes to relieve my stress. Like, what are some other ways that you could actually do that? Um, And when it comes to me, like before I went out, so in college, what I would do before I went out with friends, since I knew they were like pre-gaming in their dorm rooms and they were getting buzzed. And they were going to feel like pretty high when we went out. And if I didn't do something, I was going to feel really low and awkward. So I would go to the gym and I would go rock climbing. Uh, I would do something active. I would play the drums. Like anything that I love to do or that I was really good at is releasing the same dopamine in my body that makes me feel high. So when I went out, not only did I feel just as good as them, but I also was – I mean, basically had done something healthy for, for me, you know, and it, and it gave me confidence. Um, and it gave me something to talk about when we got to the bars, it wasn't like, Hey, what'd you do today? I had class. And then I drank in my room. It was, Oh yeah, I went rock climbing or I was playing drums with some friends or something. And it's like a good talking point, um, that gets conversation going. So all that to say, like, there's nothing inherently wrong about, the things that you want to accomplish by using the decision you have to make is, do you want to spend your your life taking the same shortcut or do you want to develop a skill set? Because that's your choice and no one else's.
1: Yeah, I I, I really like that conversation. I, um, I, I struggle and I could see why it would be a really short conversation with a lot of people and, and I think that's why I struggle with anything that overtly says like this thing is bad. You know, like now you're if you're just walking away saying, OK, this person just gave me all these reasons why, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of something really benign, like why cheese is the worst thing that you could have. Now I am just focused on why cheese is bad versus what you're actually talking about is a much bigger conversation, a much broader high level or like macro conversation, which is where in your life are you using shortcuts? So maybe it is or it isn't alcohol and drugs, but maybe it's something else. Like maybe it's aggression. Maybe it's um, exercise, you know, like anything on an extreme that's being used to, as a shortcut or for me, what I usually um, look at is, you know, is it, causing me to not actually be present in my life. Anything can actually be that thing. And you're actually having that conversation versus like, you know, down with the alcohol. And it just happens to be that the conversation is alcohol because going into college, that's like a really common way thing to start using at, at excess. Um, and so I really appreciate and can imagine that that's where your success has come from in that you're actually giving people the space to, fill in the form of the conversation. Most of them probably end up going towards alcohol, but um it's a lot more of an inviting conversation to allow people to fill in those spaces for themselves versus you determining what the bad thing is, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, exactly. And and I think you're right. That's why I get booked and booked again and, and referred is because they say most of the time people who are on this message are saying, they're sharing a personal story on how it affected them in their life and how it was negative but my whole platform is built on you can have all the positive things you want in life and you can look at evidence and see the people who maybe started using these drugs and odds are it did not help them get to their long-term vision but i know that you still want to achieve those short-term things to have fun to party to make friends to feel good um So if you choose to, like, learn a skill set to get those things, you're just a little more likely to maybe achieve your goals because there's less risk involved. Um, And I'm a I'm a total hypocrite. You know, there's there's areas of my life where I'm taking shortcuts, you know, like I don't eat the the healthiest because I want to eat faster. I don't want to cook. There's things that I need to work on. But like you said, the conversation is so much broader. It's like, what do you want to do with your life? will these things help you get closer or are they maybe going to take you further away? And then as you make the the decision, just realize that it's yours alone. It's not anybody else's. It's not mine. It's not your parents. Um, you get to choose because life isn't, isn't like just made up by chance. It's made up by choice. And so all these choices that you make are going to lead to the sum of your life. Um, so that's like all up to you, you know, and and I stay off my soapbox as much Mm -hmm. as I can. Uh, just to give them some information, post some good questions, and have some fun uh, while I'm on yeah. stage with them.
1: I um, This is kind of a spoiler alert a little bit for – for so at the end of our 60-day snooze on booze, we're going to have a, a recap. And I was sharing with Janelle, but kind of on a flip. We're not saying the exact same thing, but kind of. I started to notice that I – blame alcohol for a lot of the things in my life that don't work out. And so a really quick fix is always like, okay, I'm just going to cut alcohol out for 30 days. And like, yay. But, and so, and then because I have put all of my negative, like m- all the shittiness of my life, I've associated it with alcohol and then I cut it out. I'm not actually, a, I'm not actually looking at the things beyond alcohol, underneath alcohol, the essence of what that is in my life. And so this time we've I mean, we're doing 60 days with other people, but we've actually been we're going to end up doing it for 90 days. And after the 30 days, because there wasn't that end point there, I actually started paying more attention to where I was still experiencing difficulty and discomfort and frustrations in my life and noticing oh, I usually just blame this on alcohol, on the fact that like, oh, I'll just cut out alcohol and then it'll get better. But because I'm now, you know, we're we're 60 days in already, I'm already learning like other things that alcohol is actually not to blame for. It's, it is, my poor eating habits or the fact that I say yes to everything and I do not allow myself a break ever. And again, when I have alcohol in my life, I can kind of just like it can become the the martyr. That's the word I was like, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Alcohol becomes my martyr. And now I don't actually have to look any deeper than that. And it's, you know, culturally acceptable and societally acceptable for me to say alcohol is bad and I don't have to go any deeper. And it's been really interesting for me to recognize that and to allow myself to look a little bit deeper, look a little bit past, um, you know, the surface level obvious martyrs in order to actually take responsibility and ownership for some of the everyday habits that I have or other things that I decide and choose in my life that aren't actually serving me in a totally different way. And so that's been my biggest learning so far with, with this snooze on booze that we've done, not necessarily that alcohol is bad, but that I've
0: really, (laughs) I've used it as a scapegoat (laughs) for a lot. (laughs) Yeah, it's been, I feel like for me, it's been actually very empowering. I would use the excuse of like drinking and not that I was doing it all the time, but like, for example, you know, you go to a bar, you have a few drinks and then I don't know, you decide to hit on someone, or I don't know, you want to even take them home or whatever, and it's like, oh, you just did it because you were drinking, and not drinking, it allows me to take ownership over all of my actions. Like you said, it's not a scapegoat. You can't point the finger and be like, oh, I was drinking. You know, alcohol made me do it. I wouldn't have done that normally. It, I, Every decision I'm making right now, I'm like, you... Have a clear mind. <laughs> like, you know, there's nothing in your system. Like you, if you're gonna make this decision, you really have to own it. And in turn, I ask myself a lot more: like, what do I, what do I want? What do I want to get out of this experience? Why am I going to do whatever I'm thinking about doing? And do you still want to do it? Versus sometimes it's just easier to be like, well, oh, I'm drinking, whatever. I'll just do it because it's fun, you know. And now I have to look at myself and like, you can't really blame anyone but yourself. So your decisions. There's a lot of ownership in your decisions versus being able to like put it, point a finger at a substance. Yeah.
2: Those are really, those are really cool realizations. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if I, it kind of ties into Janelle when you asked me if I felt like I was missing out um, when I went to school and wasn't doing that. And I think maybe that was one of the biggest things is I didn't have that excuse that everybody else had. Um, Like every story was just accompanied with, I got so wasted last night Mm -hmm. you know then tell a hookup story or tell a crazy thing you did Um, so i felt like i couldn't relate to anyone um it made me feel like an outsider like i didn't belong and i kind of had to like fake it you know like oh wow that's so fun um or so you know cool that's awesome um just these generic like ways to please people um when in my mind when I was out and chose to do something cause in college I've kind of toned down a little bit now, but I was just like loud and obnoxious and crazy because that's how I wanted to behave. Um, and then when people use, for example, like the excuse, Oh, I was drinking and stuff. I kind of wanted that. <laughs> like, I kind of yeah. wanted, that. I wanted that out for the stupid things that I was doing. Um, but I just didn't have it. So, I don't know. I was like, I should start, I should start doing it, you know?
1: Have you ever drank?
2: I, <laughs> I did, but it was in kind of like a nerdy way. Um, yeah. like I wanted to study what would happen to me if I drank. <laughs> That's awesome. And I was in, so I had already um, started Party Point O and I went to North Carolina for an internship and I remember thinking I don't want to drink with people in Wisconsin because they know me as this sober person. And to some people they might, they might be staying sober because maybe they feel influenced like, like, Oh, Jake's sober so I can do it too. Um, and so I felt like I might've been letting them down. So I drank when I was in North Carolina and I really enjoyed the feeling. Um, I enjoyed the buzz and, but that same time though, I felt like I, was, I wasn't thinking about the things I was doing. Um, I was just doing them, it wasn't difficult. So it felt like I was cheating. Um, whereas normally like to go and dance with someone or to ask someone out or for their phone number, like I got this big rush. Uh, when I'm sober, I get this big rush and there's a payoff, you know? Like she, she turned me down, but you know, like, no worries, like, I did it. It felt so good when I was sober. Um, But when I was buzzed, it didn't feel like a big deal. And so it kind of stole the joy uh, and the thrill from me. So yeah, I drank once more on my 21st birthday. I did stupid stuff. I think I almost like got in a fight with some guy. And I'm I'm lucky, I'm super scrawny. The audience doesn't know that, but (laughs) I would have got my ass kicked. (laughs) And so I I just kind of became a jerk too, um, when I drank a lot. So that was just those two times really solidified my decision, and and I learned what I was like under those situations, and that was the last time uh, I did it.
0: You're actually really – that's a good point, and I I kind of described it, but you just said it a lot better than – articulated it a lot better than I did, but doing the things that you want to do when you're sober that are sort of scary, you do get a lot more of a rush than – yeah, when you're drinking it – like, it can – I mean, you can still have that experience, but I think for me personally – being sober and doing certain things or being sober and, you know, choosing to ask someone out or asking the tough question or whatever it is, like I get those butterflies in my stomach and I feel more alive versus if I'm drinking, I do feel, I mean, I'm more numbed out essentially and it just feels easier to do it. So the the emotion and the, the experience in my body is very different.
1: So what does a sober party look like?
2: So yeah, let's, let's take you to one. Um, so imagine yeah, you're on college campus, right? You're walking down the street. Um, if you're in the Midwest, you know, there's that, the houses, the couple-story houses. There's a front lawn. Um, so the main thing when you walk up to a sober house party is there's people, like, playing games in the front lawn. Uh, that's one of the benefits is that you don't have to worry about the cops showing up and giving everybody underage tickets. Is You can be obnoxious. You can be in the front lawn um, playing tailgating games. Um, so one of the best games is called the Coob. Uh, that we started playing, and then Stump. So, those are like the awesome outdoor games that we play. Stump, Hammer
0: Schlagen? Uh,
2: is that the yes. same game? Okay. Yep. <laughs> Love yeah. Love Hammer Okay,
1: what is it? You got to explain it so that
0: people know. Mm-hmm. Jake, do you want to
2: explain Hammer Schlagen? Sure. It's um, so there's a log um, that's upright. And so, yeah, just imagine like a tree if it were cut off at like three feet. And then every player stands around this log. And each player has a nail that's just barely put in the log. So if it's a five inch nail, four inches are still out of the log. Um, that's how it starts. You pass around a hammer and you flip the hammer in the air and then catch it. And then how you catch it is you try to hit another person's nail down. Um, if you toss the hammer behind your back, you get two swings at somebody's nail. If you, or maybe that's three. And then if you do it underneath your leg, you get two swings at somebody else's nail. So it goes around in this circle and you try to be the last nail standing in order to win. So that's dumb.
1: I or know how dumb. I know people who play that while drinking, which is terrifying.
2: I can't imagine people playing
1: <laughs> in Minnesota. That's I I my mom's from Sheboygan, but I lived in Minnesota for a long time. And then I met Janelle in Wisconsin down later but that's, I first learned about that game in Minnesota and it was people
2: trashed. And it's yeah. terrifying.
0: We used to get that game so drunk scary. all the time.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's one of those games, like people love it. I, I remember sometimes our parties since, you know, we were in Wisconsin at the time, it would be like 30 degrees, 25 degrees. And there's literally like 20 people outside playing that game. <laughs> and it's, it's so crazy, like how much people love it. But yeah. that's one of the benefits, I guess, um, of our parties. Is you know, when you walk up, like you can do something outside. And so when I train people now to like host their own parties, um, I say imagine your party is full of rooms, and outside is your first room. You have to show people that you're having fun, and get them involved in something right away. Uh, so when people walk up, especially when they're sober you have to remember all their insecurities are in their head. They're going to a new place with new people. They're thinking, you know, why aren't people aren't going to like me? I'm not a social butterfly, all these negative things. Um, So what we try to do is get someone involved in something immediately. So they stop thinking about themselves and they start having fun with other people and making friends because that's, what's going to make the night awesome. Um, So that's like kind of step one in any sober party. So you go through that, you probably play a game or two, um, once that front yard gets filled up, then we start moving in the house. So people start coming in. Uh, one thing that I learned that really helps is to have someone at the door. Number one, to stop people from bringing alcohol in. If they are, they don't know we're having a sober party. Um, we can turn them away at the door and just say, listen, uh, it's not like your fault, but we're just partying sober. If the cops show up, we get a $400 hosting ticket uh, just because you showed up. And then everyone here could also get tickets. So Sorry, you know, come back next time. Uh, We're not drinking. So that's step one is someone at the door to do that. But also just, like, to give people high fives and say, you know, welcome to the party. Um, Because when you do, like, physical touch, like a high five, it releases a little bit of dopamine and makes you feel really good. Um, So it's just, like, a a good first step to make people feel welcome. And then from there, honestly, we just – We just play a bunch of games. Uh, We have DJs playing music. People are dancing. And uh, we try to have a competition go throughout the night so that, you know, when you leave, you could leave with like a $50 Target gift card or uh, anything else that's, you know, appealing to the local, you know, students, um, pizza certificates. And then we get sponsored by like Red Bull and Pizza Hut and Chick-fil-A and different brands who like throw free stuff and gift cards at us so that we can Kind of add some more hype to our parties and give away more free stuff so if you just imagine a regular like house party it's just that um but maybe a little more a little more games a little more competitions and people are getting loud because they're in competition not because they're drunk but they're just like talking trash to people and uh, making new friends and stuff like that and we play loud games that involve like four or more people so they always get loud um, so yeah, that's what it looks like. I
1: love it. I love that. How did you know? Like, how did you learn this? It was a trial and error.
2: Yeah. Well, I will tell you that, like you said, it was a learning curve. Um, our first party was so funny. Um, we had, we had it in this really small apartment with my friend, Steve. We started this together and we basically had 85 students in this like one little room. And the party consisted of a foosball table, one water pong table. We had two five gallon jugs of Kool-Aid and a DJ.
0: Kool-Aid, oh my God.
1: (laughs) Wait, what's water pong? What's a water pong table?
2: Just like beer pong, but we're playing it with water.
1: Oh, okay, got it, got it,
2: got it. Yeah, so that was really bad. So we were telling people how to get in the door um, because it was kind of hard to find. And we were letting people to know where to go. And like 15 minutes after our party started, we went into our party to check on it. And it was so funny. There was literally 85 people crammed in there shoulder to shoulder. They're all sober. So they know how awkward this is. Our friend Brian is DJing and he's having like such a good time. You know, he's like, I don't know, he's bobbing his head. He's playing his music. His fist is in the air. And literally everyone else is so packed in there, they're trying to dance and they can't. And my favorite part is this one guy, he recognized us from um, like from the sidewalk when we were telling him where to go. And he's like, hey, this is your party, right? And we're, we're like, yeah, what's up? And he said, the Kool-Aid's gone, this party sucks. And he storms <laughs> oh, <no>. out. <laughs> and so they called us the Kool-Aid party.
0: I have, like, no recollection of this. Apparently, I, word was not out uh, you, that you were the kool yeah, party. You weren't at
2: that one. Um, so I guess to, to finish answering your question from that party, like, okay, we obviously learned from that experience. Number one, we need more space. We didn't realize that so many people were going to come to this party. Yeah,
0: eighty four um, people is impressive, too.
2: Yeah. For one, when you actually tell them there's not going to be alcohol there,
0: mm-hmm.
2: we were not expecting that. Um, but from that point on, you know, we learned have more space, we need more things to do. Um, and then we just started kind of like partnering with fraternities to use their houses and, um, brought in different DJs and had a, you know, like a, in Wisconsin, there's basements, you know, Midwest people have basements. So that's where always the DJ was, the dance floor was, and then, I just kind of learned like, okay, here's when people are having the most fun and here's what it makes, what makes it easy to meet people. Um, because at that first one, there was no way for you to meet someone unless you got to play pong with them or you got to play foosball. But that's, that's literally like six people out of 85, six people can meet each other at a time. Otherwise you've got to be like a social butterfly and most people are not. So I guess just that realization alone started making me say all right we need to create ways for people to meet each other where they don't have to be good at conversation like they can concentrate on a game um they can celebrate they can talk trash they can fool around and they'll just end up talking to each other and becoming friends like it's just more natural because there's no pressure
1: does it does it matter who the host is
2: yeah i think well So running the program, I found it doesn't matter who's like promoting it because promotion is the easy part. Um, I teach people how to promote face-to-face. Like it's not posters, not social media, invite people face-to-face because then your advertising is free for the rest of the year and you know the people are into what you're doing. Um, But from the host standpoint is it does matter. Um, If the person who is hosting the party is not outgoing then I asked them to find what I call like someone who's going to be the life of the party. Someone who is going to say, Hey to new people is going to invite them to play games is going to be excited that they're there. Like just that people person.
1: Hype man. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, cause your, your energy is so engaging, like captivate, like you draw people in. And so I was like, of course it'd be easy for him to throw a party. Cause everybody <laughs> would want to be around him. But like, what about, Other people, you know, like I hate hosting and I think people would say like that they always like people always used to joke, Rachel, I want you to invite, I want to invite you to my wedding because you'll be the person that starts the dance party. But like in general, I don't tend to be like the person that like I don't want to be the hype man. Um, And So I was thinking for myself, I was like, man, how would I do that? But yeah, it makes sense getting a hype person. I think Janelle, you'd be my hype person.
0: I'm all about that hype. You really are. That's because I, like I love the when string hype. Yeah. Well, that's because I love when people hype me up. Like those are my favorite people. <laughs> I just want a hype person around me at all times, being like, "Yeah, you got it. Good job. Here's a sticker." <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I try to return the favor for people. You you kind of started to talk about it, but when you hosted your first party. Were you nervous at all?
2: Number one, for sure. I was nervous throwing the first party. Like, yeah, we were UW Oshkosh or Sloshkosh, you know, like this wasn't going to be a popular thing and probably people were going to talk trash about me for doing it since, you know, maybe I'm like threatening their lifestyle or something. Um, But I was a little nervous about that. I was nervous about people. Well, I wasn't nervous, actually. I just assumed that not many people would show up you know, Steve and I um, went out and invited basically 129 people to our party. A lot of them were strangers. Most of them, you know, were strangers we had never met before. And we were so surprised because out of 129, 120 of them gave us their phone number.
0: That's impressive.
2: I know we were like blown away. we were thinking these are probably fake numbers. Like, There's no way that that they would actually do this because we go to this campus. We know how popular drinking is on the weekends, but since we got those phone numbers, we're like, all right, well now we actually have to do it. And I think that's where the nerves kicked in. We'd never thrown a party before. Um, We didn't know how many people were going to show up, but since I was on like the programming board, you know, booking comedians and bands for campus, I thought, you know, Hey, if we invite 120 people, there's, there might be 30 or 40 who actually show up. So that was my thought. And when we had 85 that first time, that was so surprising. And that's when we really looked at each other and said, dude, we just gave these people the worst party of their life. So we either have to get good at this thing fast or we need to stop telling people that that we do this um, because they actually want it. Like This is a need on campus and we didn't know it until we tried it.
0: Did you find that most of the people that were attending, just out of curiosity, were they all different ages, Were was there a certain group that you were noticing, or was it really truly just like a very diverse group of people that were strangers to you?
2: At first, it was a lot of freshmen and sophomores, Mm -hmm. but as these parties grew, um, and we started getting attendances, you know, up to like 250 students, I noticed that they were of all different you know, grade levels, um, all kinds of I mean, Oshkosh isn't really like that diverse culturally, um, True. but True. <laughs> it was like, yeah. It, it was like representative of the campus, pretty much. Um, yeah, it was, it was just cool the different people you'd meet that showed up there. And what I like to tell people, and what was really cool for me to know, is that there was actually more people who came to our sober parties who weren't sober. Like, they enjoyed drinking, but they would come to our parties because it was something different and it was something fun. And what was really crazy is a lot of times it was the women who would say, like, emphatically, yes, I'm there. Because there's so much rape culture around alcohol, and alcohol is the number one date rape drug. So to take out that element and just for them to feel safe was really cool. And then I think for the guys, like – I remember going to house parties and thinking like, this is a sausage fest. There are no women here. There's like four women here. Mm -hmm. And so our parties were so unique in that it was like 50-50 men and women, which was like really excited for me, you know, (laughs) Uh, I'm sure a lot of other people. But uh, yeah, the demographics of it all was so interesting that there were people who They just liked our parties, even though they drank on other nights, they would come to ours. And that um, it was so split between men and women.
1: So when you're on your speaker series, has there ever been a part of the country that hasn't been into what you're bringing? Or has it been pretty receptive?
2: Everywhere I've gone has been receptive. Like, students are into the idea. The only... The only unknown is, am I going to meet a leader? Am I going to meet someone who takes this idea and owns it and starts it on their campus? Um, So one of the cool things that I was able to do after college, and there was so much growth that happened actually after school that was really like transformational for me, because like growing up, I didn't really believe in anything um, besides like myself and what could I, I could see in front of me. So after school just went through like this crazy faith transformation and I started doing like crazier things. Um, I was able to raise money from like family and friends and people that I would meet in Oshkosh to go on a national tour. So we basically took this party idea and we bought this like 25 foot trailer. And I pulled it behind my dad's vehicle. I borrowed it. (laughs) And four of us, uh, my wife Emily, myself, and two other people, uh, one we had just like met at church, and the other guy we knew from college, and he was a videographer, we piled into this trailer and we traveled the country trying to set up basically a sober party in a new state within one week. And this idea, like really validated it for me because I mean, we threw parties at like big 10 universities like Mississippi state and like Indiana university.
1: Yeah. I do. That's where I went. What? Dude. I use a drunk, drunk fest,
2: man. It is. Yeah.
1: Bloomington. But
2: you know, what's crazy. That was one of our most successful schools.
1: I'm sure. I'm sure it was.
2: Yeah, we had um, over 600 people come to one of the, like the first sober parties there when I taught a group. Um, 600? Do, like, 600. We had to divide Damn. up into seven houses. Yeah, that's Whoa.
1: cool. Where, do you remember where it was on campus?
2: have no idea, no. I, mean,
1: I probably wouldn't remember either, but
2: it would be <laughs> funny anyways.
1: <laughs>
2: yeah, but what it comes down to is I found like this this thing is kind of universal. You know, there are some people who they get our, they're in the culture and they love it. Right. And there's some people that are saying, hey, I don't want to use these things. So when I go out on the campus, I'm going to find that, you know, that statistical 30 percent who are just gung ho. They're like, yes, I want an alternative. I want to do this. I've been waiting for someone like you. The question is, again, are we going to find a leader within that that town with the limited time we have who's going to take it upon themselves to really like go after it um, so that when we leave that there's parties actually happening and so that's actually what brought me to this like my speaking career is we were traveling around the country trying to throw these parties and sometimes it would work amazing you know at these huge schools and people would say this is never going to work here and we'd make it happen we'd have hundreds of students at these parties we get sponsors we teach other people how to do it And the crazy thing is we did it all within one week, like knowing nothing and no one on the campus. And within a week, we did this. And so it really just showed me that it's possible anywhere. And so at this point, I had fundraised all this money to basically complete this tour, to pay myself a salary, to take care of the people that were going along with us. And it wasn't, to me, like... I wasn't living my dream career because I was a, I was a fundraiser. That was like 90% of my job. And this tour was just like a last push to figure out how are we going to make this sustainable? Like, is this going to work everywhere? So when we were on the tour and I kind of got to this really low moment where I wanted to give up, I was kind of asking myself, you know, since I'm not willing to do this for the rest of my life, what could... What could I do instead? And talking with Steve, the guy who helped me start it on the phone, he really helped me realize that early in college, I, I, I was speaking to all the incoming freshmen, like trying to get them involved, pumped up about school. And it was my favorite job ever. And I, I gave up like wanting to pursue speaking because I saw that this party platform could influence more people. And I could basically train others who could you know, influence hundreds of people on any given weekend. So I said, all right, I'm gonna stop thinking about myself and my desire to be a speaker because that's just about me. I'm gonna tackle this, this other thing that I found out how to do because it can help more people and it could reach farther. But then Steve helped me realize, well, Jake, what if you just went back to speaking and that would help you find out if there's maybe some leaders on campuses And then you could get paid instead of having to raise all your money. And so that was a really big moment for me. Um, And that, you know, my wife and I just decided, all right, well, we're going to do whatever it takes to make this happen. We picked up our life and moved to Phoenix, Arizona, because they have a cheap airport and it's warm there instead of freezing. And we started pursuing this whole speaking model. Um, And that's, yeah, that's where we are now.
1: It's so cool. Uh, I love the iterative process to it, too. Like, you never could have gone into it expecting that you would be here. Like, you needed to take each step on the journey to get to here. Um, I always love that reminder just because it's easy for me when I'm, you know, on the seemingly small step to get ahead of myself and If I'm not on the step that I'm on, then I'm never actually going to get where I'm going because I'm not actually in it. I'm trying, I'm somewhere else. (laughs) And so I'm not doing this step very fully, you know, as fully as I could. And so I love that you just embraced every step without, you know, needing to be anywhere else. And that's what actually is getting you where you're going. And I think that's actually where the success is too, because Mm -hmm you're really focused on doing the step that you're on as best as you can and fullheartedly as you can until something else speaks to you. It's, it's cool. Yeah,
0: thanks. Jake, mm-hmm. I was gonna ask, when you and I talked during our prep call, you had mentioned that students are a little bit different than maybe what you expected. So I guess my question, I'll just rephrase it. Do you feel like students now are different about drinking culture versus when you were in college through your speaking career and what you've you've seen in your interactions?
2: I do think that they're a little different. Um, in one vein, we're the same. You know, like humans in general, we want to feel valued, we want to have like feel accepted and like we're part of something, and that's the biggest draw to using is when you look around our culture, it's just this picture is painted that if you wanna belong, uh, you wanna fit in and you wanna feel good, like you'll do these things. Um, And especially at that young adult age. So in that case, I don't think it's changed, but what I do think has changed is people are using different substances, like weed is now taking over. um, And I guess I should say THC So that kind of high part of weed um, that students are using and now in like vaping devices and jewels and stuff. So that is taking over um, drinking and people are just getting high more. And there's this notion that since marijuana is uh, legal for medicinal purposes, is that there's like, oh, then it's okay for us to use um, they're not treating it like a drug that you'd be prescribed by a doctor. They're just thinking, oh, someone's using it for something good, so it's good for me. Um, so that's kind of the switch, I think, is that people are viewing it almost as like a, this healthy thing. Um, and then obviously with like the popularity of vaping products, I think it's really going to change further because this generation, these middle school students and high school students right now, And people early into college, they're gonna be addicted to nicotine. And I talk with people who are in recovery from heroin and from opiates, and they say it is harder to kick nicotine than it is heroin. So it makes me like really kind of messed up, you know, to think about what they're gonna be dealing with and the way this is changing because it's less about the social partying. And it's more about these students trying to cope with the stress that they're under. Um, because yeah, just like the access to everything on social media, it like builds up this stress and anxiety in young people's life. And since our brains aren't fully developed, we don't know how to cope with these things yet. Um, and so they're, they're starting to use these things just to cope, not just like the party aspect and the fitting in aspect. It's, I feel stressed. I feel anxiety, I, I feel pain and I want to escape it. And this helps just a little bit for me to escape it. So in that way, I do think that things are changing and our, and our landscape is changing.
1: I I think that's where my earlier question really came from was like, if we're just tackling alcohol as the bad guy, we're kind of missing the point a little bit in my perspective. Like, the underlying piece here is that there is people who are trying to numb or trying to, you know, have a coping mechanism that makes them feel better quickly. Um, And I, I guess that was going to be another question that I had, which is, if it's not these substances, you know, what's the next thing? Probably social media is in there. But if it's not that, what's the next thing and what's the next thing and what's the next thing and what's the next thing? And when are we actually gonna have the conversation about the fact that like, how are we teaching people how to cope, how to understand stress, how to understand themselves, how to understand heavy emotions, how to process from a younger age so that we're not just throwing Band-Aids upon Band-Aids that ultimately end up just killing us in different ways. I mean, I know a lot of people in their young 20s and in college through some of the jobs that I have, and they jewel, and they know. They're like, I know this is killing me. And I'm like, put it the fuck down. And they're like, I am already addicted. And I'm just like, oh, my God. But if it's not that, it's something else until we actually have the conversation about... um, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and, like, poo-poo. It's more so, like... How do we actually have this space to learn what pain feels like? How do we cope with those feelings? How do we, you know, how do we get responsible without like, and that's not like a belittling ourselves, but like with love, how are we responsible for the decisions that we're making? How do we connect with people? How do we feel what we want to feel? There's really not an outlet for that I, that I've found um, I mean maybe like team sports kind of but it's still rallying around the sport versus right. you know the human I don't know it's really it's interesting yeah.
0: I mean it's And Rachel yeah. you brought this up before but then you and I just had a conversation with this I was saying that I was feeling really anxious and that my body was very worn down from it but that normally my Crutch, sort of in that sense, is for me to work out, but I know my body can't actually handle working out, and I was like, "But I, I should just go because it'll make me feel better." And you're like, "Or you could find something else to do to, like, you know, or look at yourself or figure out, you know, what's going on a little bit deeper." And I'm like, "Oh shit, you're right. Like that's a just another example of something outside of drugs or you know alcohol that I know that right now my body doesn't actually need to work out more, but." that is my crutch to handle anxiety. And it's not a bad thing, but it's having that awareness and then, to your point, what you just said, having other tools to be able to cope with anxiety or to cope with stress rather than having that one thing that, like in this example, I have enough self-awareness to know that I actually shouldn't do that right now, even if it's my go-to tool to cope. Yeah.
1: I mean, like, my... I'm in one of my coach trainings right now. We've been talking a lot about habits and addictions and compulsions. And I've become very, very aware of my compulsion, maybe addiction to intellectualizing instead of allowing myself to feel. And they define addiction as anything that you use or do that takes you out of, actually being in the experience of your life. And when I overintellectualize or I try to understand it or sort it out, or I'm going to figure out the aha here. I mean, that's not a bad thing. However, when that is the only tool that I have in order to navigate the things that are happening to me, <clears throat> I'm not, I'm now not actually experiencing what it feels like to just be sad and to cry. Um, or to be elated and then to let it pass. And um, I just, I find it so, so fascinating just um, how quickly things can turn into a coping mechanism. I mean, and we're going to be talking to more people this season about this type of thing, even with, especially within the wellness industry, where, you know, you think to yourself uh, exactly what you were saying, Jake, like, we hear, oh, THC and marijuana is actually healthier for you. It's organic. It's X, Y, Z. And so now I, I have free range to use and to feel OK using it. Well, that's not totally the point. Um, it's not about just using it to like numb out. You know, now it's it doesn't matter how good anything is, anything that's causing you to numb out and not actually be aware isn't a good thing, no matter how good it is. For you, in doses. So, yeah. yeah, it's a really having that conversation.
2: Right. I think that one of the things is my mind goes to is I I'm like you. I, I want to intellectualize it. I want to know the science and the data. Um, and it can be like hard for me to step back because yeah. since I, I grew up without like any faith in anything is I forget that, that like a human, like us as humans, we aren't just mind and body. Like imagine someone standing in front of you and then imagine that same person, but like they're, they're dead, right? They're, they're lifeless. They might look exactly the same. Their, their body, their mind is there, it's the exact same, but something is missing in that person and it's, it's almost like, right, their spirit has gone. And I know that it's, it's like a t- t- touchy topic in America right now uh, because there's so many different viewpoints on religion. But one of the things that I just cannot, I can't argue with is that there's some spiritual element to the world. Like, I can't imagine that this earth is an accident. Like, how did someone accidentally or how did something accidentally happen where the, f- the trees give off the exact chemical that we need to breathe. And the stuff we breathe out is exactly what the trees need to survive. And that our bodies, like how, what a miracle our human body is that brings this stuff in, that flows through our body with blood and oxygen and all these things that help us survive. Like to me, that isn't an accident. There's something spiritual that created us. And so I think that to ignore that, to go throughout life and fully ignore that is yes we'll continually have to develop these crutches to deal with things because our world is not perfect because life is hard and it continues to be hard even though you know your level of hard might be different than someone else's like we have people who we look up to movie stars and business people that seem to have it all but yet suicide is among them too and anxiety and stress and unhappiness so it's like we can't define our entire world with just the mind and the body. And with science, it's there's something else out there that like we can seek to uncover the truth. And for me, it wasn't until that happened that things really started to make sense. And I could realize how I could manage my mind and my body to do what was right for me. So that when I do feel like, hey, I really should start using now because it seems like the easy way out. Um, that I do have the strength to to pull into something else. That you know, maybe it is my crutch, um, but it feels like the best crutch ever. That's that's only helping me, and there's no negative side effects.
0: I have chills, and I kind of want to cry. That was beautiful.
2: <laughs> uh-huh. I'm glad. Why did you say I, that? Why do you have chills?
0: I I just I love the acknowledgement of the more. And I've we've talked about this on the podcast, but for me, I believe in the spiritual side of life, but like I I don't think I've found the right language yet to be able to communicate it. And I just think you did a really good job there of putting words to I think things that I've thought but haven't had the language to explain.
1: I. It's it is uh it is beautiful and I think it's easy to I'll speak for myself it has been easy in the past for me to disregard that conversation because I don't necessarily um, practice an organized religion and so I um and I've gotten to a point where absolutely you can be spiritual and not um, practicing any one specific organized religion. Um, you can even believe in something outside of yourself and not believe, you know, be atheist. And so I, I, it's different. It's a very different conversation. We don't use the same words, but, um, I've been very fascinated in, in the things that are outside of ourselves as well, because you're right. Like there is a lot more here than what we are, most of the time the construct of our society allowing ourselves the space to experience. Uh, and I don't know if you guys have watched goop lab on Netflix. Um, I, somebody had recommended it to me for something. And the very first episode they actually some of the team goes to Jamaica to try mushrooms. And, um, the people who are leading it say, all the 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 people who use mushrooms out here are confused by Westerners keep coming here to use this medicine to talk to the to the plant spirit to connect with something beyond themselves because we just do that we already have that connection so innately that we just use this medicine for when we're sick and To like cure diseases, but Westerners come out here because it's the only way that they have to let down their defenses or whatever it is that allows them an openness to, I call it magic, but like to that thing that's beyond this seemingly 3D reality. And it's so fascinating to me how, you know, we are so successful and there's so much that we experience Maybe if if you haven't listened to the Egypt episode, go listen to it. But Janelle, remember when I said freedom, I had that conversation about freedom and -hmm. how there was like a difference in the, the experience of freedom. And maybe this starts to touch on it, which is like we have freedom through, you know, the money and the financial and like the things that we have and like the infrastructure exists and there's a freedom to that. And there is a lack of freedom in our ability to connect with things beyond us. And that doesn't have to be God. I mean, that can be just that innate connection of that spirit that exists. Even when they say like connecting to the plant spirit, it's like an acknowledgement that there is an energy and a life force in everything. And what happens when we allow ourselves to connect with that space and play with it versus I mean most of us are just like can't even feel when our our shoulders are up to our ears because we're so stressed out and what if we do feel it and what if we play in that space and we what if we have an ability to lean on that innate knowing and that innate existence of energy that is in everything how does that change the decisions that we make I don't know I just verbally vomited all over both of you but Um, I guess I wanted to acknowledge what you were saying, Jake, but then also expand upon it because I do think sometimes it can go into, at least for me, when, when conversations would open up around something bigger than myself, I would shut down because the words didn't match my words. And so I'm inviting anyone else who might have had that response the opportunity to recognize that, you know, the essence is really the thing to focus on beyond the words. Um, And when you can focus on that essence, I think a lot of people um, can have that same experience without having to necessarily have organized religion or whatever.
2: So. Yeah. And I think you're right. And I, that's probably why our country feels so divided sometimes is because we have different ideas and, and different things that we think is true. And so I have what I believe is true. And I believe that I have the most evidence to say that what I believe is, you know, the truth. But the reality is that I will not know in this life, right? Like I can't know that I picked the right one. Um, all I can do is take the evidence that's been given uh, to carefully study and see if it matches up. Um, and to to really dig into, you know, what I'm being told and, and see if it matches. So for me, like that journey took uh, a couple years, but it was something that you're right. Spirituality starts with you and then, you know, who your, you know, creator is. And, and I would say it's God, you know, Um, because I think Jesus is the best evidence um, since there was people like that, that acknowledged his existence back then, that hated him and those that loved him. And there just wasn't much disputance to say, all right, here's what he said. Doesn't matter if you believe him, but here's what he said. Um, and finding out about, I'm really into like data and finding out what happened ge- geographically and chronologically, like, does this stuff match up with history? Um, and so to me, when I looked into all these things, I said, wow, there was, like hundreds of people who saw him, there was people who wrote it down and they did it all within one lifetime. But then when I think of the things that were taught, like the writings of Plato and Aristotle, there were hundreds of years between when those things were taught and when those were right down. But for some reason, we talk about those more um, because like you said, we're we're kind of touchy, you know? We want to think that we know what's right, but we also can't know at the same time. So it's it's like a hard conversation for people, but I would like for any listeners who's like just having questions about that, I would say find somebody that you can ask really tough questions to, you know? Like if, if church scares you, go to one that's open about question. Or if you're looking into another uh, religion that you think is true, ask like the super tough questions um, because real faith and real truth it's revealed by those tough questions. They won't shy down from it. Um, so I do want to leave on like an encouraging note that that you can feel confident about what you believe, even if other people believe something different. And that's okay.
1: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And like, I think they all, so when I went to Egypt, it was such cool experience of people coming from all walks of life and different Ideologies and basically acknowledging that, like, all you know, maybe all of these are right, and we're each kind of honing in on one aspect of something. But, like, just because you know, having Jesus exist doesn't negate some of the other, you know, magnificent people that have existed in other parts of the world. And if anything, maybe they all actually reinforce the fact that there was a generation or there is an aspect to the human race or previous civilizations that actually had access to some of the things that were bigger than us. And obviously, this is a kind of a can of worms, but I'm super like interested in it. But I, yeah, I, I think absolutely find find the words that speak to you that ring true to you that allow you to be be the best version of yourself that you know from a place of love and personal responsibility you know like it's not like free will just like shit on everybody because you have the right way you know (laughs) like but you know find your words like the reason we each have our slightly different is because we are slightly different and that's okay. Like, um, and I, I, I personally actually believe that all of them have merit and validity in some capacity. Um, especially if they're getting people towards, you know, a truth that isn't, you know, hurting other people. But anyways, that's like a totally other conversation.
2: Yeah. Well, that's cool that you, that you brought it up because there's, um, there's people that, like you said, so we might be a little different and that's totally cool. Whereas some people think of religion, like what brings them to religion is that the, they want to know like, Hey, what's the right answer? Totally. (laughs) Right. And that's, that's crazy, right? You can't know the right answer, but they want to feel like they know that. So it, it becomes a question of, do you believe that the truth or that a religion can be insulin? Is, is it going to save your life? When you die, is it going to save your life? Or do you believe it's like ice cream, that you can choose whatever flavor you like and you use it in this life and you get what you want out of it? Um, and I think that's probably, in, I think in our generation, we're seeing a lot of change in faith. Because it's, it's less about the afterlife, and I want to know that I'm taken care of. So I don't need to study everything or, or look into everything, um, you know? Like, I'll find the one that works for me. And that's what's really cool about living here is you can openly talk about it. And the cool thing about your podcast is that, like, we're covering a couple different, like, viewpoints of people across the nation. And we all are, are like equally as convicted that, you know, that our way is yeah. at least meritable, you know, and it's, it's not wrong and we won't find out, you know, we won't find yeah. out till later. All we can do now is to, like you said, careful study, you know, what speaks to us, ask questions and, and figure out whether you want to discover your, you know, your ice cream, or if you're about the insulin and you want to know that, like you're going to have to dive in real hard to convince yourself. That that's life-saving insulin,
1: and having the courage to be able to continue to have the conversations. Because I think even just us three, we all come from very different perspectives in terms of what works. Yet we all have, I believe, that we all have this i this um draw to something out. You know, there is something bigger here. There's something bigger, and we're asking the questions. But how the how it shows up for each of us at these points in our lives is how they show up. And yet there's a curiosity to keep having the conversation and to keep gathering more data points um, for ourselves and to give ourselves permission to have it shift and not have to be, you know, so tied down to like, I decided this at one point in my life. So now I have to believe it for the rest of my life dogmatically. You know, it's like, well, no, let me let, let's talk about what was there and let's talk about what's different now. And you just brought up an interesting thing that doesn't have to make me wrong. It just means that that's really fascinating. I never thought about that. Let me dig, let's dig into that a little bit more. Let me wrestle with it. Um, and it takes an openness on your end to be willing to receive that as well. And so I acknowledge you for being willing to show up and um, you know, answer some <laughs> some somewhat pointed questions on my part and to like be willing to kind of play a little bit and be curious and and um be non judgmental and just be like, hey, we're all just trying to figure it out. And I feel good enough with me to be able to go there and see where we get because that's kind of okay, Alan Watts. He's like my I love that guy. And uh, he said this quote that I'm going to find. Hold on. Hold on. Oh my God, we text all. Yeah, we've been
0: talking <laughs> a lot lately. <laughs> oh,
2: holy shit. By the way, okay. I'm just assuming we're going to cut this part out. So I'm just going to say, yeah, man, I love this conversation. Like, it's really, we're really. We're probably
1: cool. not going to cut it out. <laughs> we're going to keep that
2: in. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> we will keep that in. <laughs> All right, well, I'm just, like, super encouraged because I just love how much we're able to talk, and I don't know if most people might feel a little uncomfortable, like, speaking like this, but I feel really encouraged by both of you, even though we're talking about different stuff, you know? Like, what most people would say, hey, this is a really hard conversation, mm-hmm. but it still feels really good. Yeah,
0: that's right. I mean. Well, we appreciate you coming yeah. on, too, and being willing to have a conversation because a yeah. lot of people... Uh-huh. Um, would
2: not be willing to do that.
1: Fucking Alan, where the fuck are you?
2: It's in know. your text messages.
0: I don't
1: know. Hold on. It's I've probably on Instagram. Somewhere. We talk on like I know. five
0: different well, hold platforms. On. Hold, on. hold
1: on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I just read it to Dylan like the other. Oh, found it. Okay. <laughs> mm. It's not even. It's gonna be such a like. Okay. The meaning of life is just to be alive. It is so plain and so obvious and so simple, and yet everybody rushes around in a great panic as if it were necessary to achieve something beyond themselves. And now I forgot even why that was important, but I I guess just like acknowledging that we're, we're showing up here today alive and being alive and having, have the conversation. Like that's what being alive is. And we're here now, and so be here now. And have the conversation.
0: It was (laughs) so anticlimactic. No, it was worth the wait. It's a very good point.
1: (laughs) All right, (laughs) cool.
0: So as we as we wrap up, Jake, how do you live your true north in one word?
2: Inclusion.
0: Hmm. I like that. I always like that. And then, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, they want you to come speak at their school. They want to host a sober party. They just want to talk to you about life. What would be a good way for them to reach out to you?
2: The best ways are um, our website. So the brand name is Party, and then the number zero on your keyboard. Dot org um, or Party Zero on Instagram, and then. Uh, our like high school and middle school platform is called Vive18. So Vive means to live in like eight different languages. Um, so that V-I-V-E and then 18.com. Um and same for, for Instagram, we're on those. So yeah, if anybody wants to chat or learn more about what I do or how they can do it, happy to help. Um, I have a like a playbook available. So it just like breaks down everything I did to how to get sponsors, how to throw parties. Um, so that's the easiest way too. if you want to message me and be like, Hey, I just want to throw parties. Like, I don't want to talk to you. Um, I'll send you that link.
0: Awesome. Jake, this was great. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on and especially I just came out of the woodworks and it's been a while since we connected. So I, I just, I'm very grateful that you were willing to take the time and to have this conversation and to put the amount of energy and, and thought that you shared with us today. So thank you.
2: Absolutely. It was awesome.
0: Likewise. You both are great. (laughs) This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the Collective underscore. And if you liked what you heard, please consider leaving us a review wherever you are listening to this podcast. Until next time.